Discrimination on a college or university campus is certainly nothing new for pro-lifers in Canada, but it's still not something that should be accepted at all. Today, I'm joined by Talia Batista to talk about her journey of discrimination and tragedy and how she's fighting back at the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. And in today's episode, we're going to go a little bit off the beaten track of apologetics. Today's going to be a little bit of a modified Humans of the Pro-Life Movement episode, highlighting um, an incredible young woman in the movement, Tali Batista, um, who has been enduring all sorts of insane discrimination at the hands of her student union, the, the administration at her university, and she's finally starting to get a little bit of encouragement um, with a, a major victory from the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. And so Talia... Um, was a, a campus activist at Ryerson University, now known as Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, I don't know if they've changed the name because of this absolute um, poop storm that <laughs> they've cultivated around Dahlia. Um, excuse my language there, I apologize, but uh, it's difficult to describe it any other way. Um, Talia has been an absolute hero um, in the pro-life movement, defending her right to freedom of speech and by extension, the rights of all pro-lifers and through that, the rights of preborn children. Because at the end of the day, um, free speech is important, not only for the sake of free speech, but particularly particularly for us as pro-lifers um, because of the speech that we are sharing, because of the message of life and the horrors of abortion for the protection of the weakest, most vulnerable members of the human family. This isn't just free speech for the sake of speech, but rather free speech for the sake of tiny human beings, little boys, little girls, and their very livelihood. And so I'm I'm so thankful for Tally's courage, as you will hear in this interview, um, through her entire life, the entire testimony that she has um, lived um, in her very young life so far, and for the witness that she has offered and the courage that she um, enacts day after day. I, I can't gush enough about Talia Batista. Here's my interview with her and how you can get involved in her fight for human rights for herself and for preborn children. All right, Talia, how are you? Thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I am sure that um, 10 years ago when, when you were in school and you were anticipating what you would be doing 10 years from now, you probably weren't envisioning um, doing a whole bunch of media um, releases in newspapers and on podcasts and, and television, I'm sure as well, trying to defend your rights. Um, tell me, how far removed is this from what you thought you'd be doing 10 years ago? I think pretty far. Um, I've... I didn't anticipate needing to sue or file a human rights complaint against my university. Um, There's not something that was in my 10-year plan or my five-year plan. Gotcha. That That's fair to say. I, I must admit when I was, so 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, holy moly, when I was in university, it was like the cool thing for pro-life groups to sue their university. I feel like the University of Calgary um, kind of led the way Cam Wilson and the team at Students for Le um, Campus Pro-Life at U of C, they started this lawsuit and all of the rest of us felt super insecure about how we weren't suing our universities. And so I had a lawsuit against my university. A bunch of other people had lawsuits against the university. And then we all realized how awful they actually were and how much we hated the fact that we had lawsuits. We're going to dive into that in a little bit and all of the struggles that, that unfortunately you've been having to navigate um, with um it's no longer rise from university, Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But maybe if, if this is a little ways off from what you had envisioned you'd be doing 10 years ago, maybe bring me and the listeners up to speed with regards to your kind of journey into the pro-life movement, because I feel like it's different for everybody. What did that look like for you? So I grew up in a Christian household. I was always pro-life, um, but I also grew up in the West Indies and a small Caribbean island called Antigua where abortion was both heavily restricted and also just something that's very difficult to get, not very commonly um, spoken about and is generally, especially changing a little bit of recent years, but it's generally still understood as a last resort and something that is tragic. Um, so 
I moved to Toronto in 2014 for school when I started when I started college. Um, and I had a bit of culture shock moving to Canada, both that you don't say good morning to everyone on the bus, which was a change for me. Um, and also just how commonplace and how celebrated abortion was. Mm. And and wowzers, I, I love asking people, especially folks who are, are relatively new to Calgary, so, uh, sorry, to Canada. So my, my the Cote family, my family came over in like 1635 on one of the first boats from France. Um, and so I, I find it in, incredibly fascinating people's journey and that cultural transition. Uh, so coming from a nation like the West Indies, where abortion was not socially accepted. So you mentioned that that this was something that was very evidently embraced. Was there a bit of like a an ice bucket moment where you realize like, holy moly, they're serious, like abortion is actually accepted here. This isn't just the abortion advocates trying to convince people that abortion is um, accepted. Was there like a bit of an aha moment of like, no, no, they're, they're serious about abortion access in Canada? So I think of kind of two moments. Um, one of them was shortly before I got involved in doing pro-life outreach when I saw um, a display on campus it was about, I think it was about workplace safety. Um, so it's at business school. So Todd Rogers School of Management at what was Ryerson, now is Toronto Met. And I just remember thinking that like these, um, so I'd, by that time I'd like seen, he was very familiar with abortion victim photography and thinking that of if these same level of, of graphic of photos were of pre-born children, how we wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to show them um, but I, something that I walked past in the way to class. Um, it's funny that you mentioned suing universities, um, polite for suing universities, because kind of the first um, idea I got is that we had a polite, used to have a polite group at Ryerson. Um, so I just going to refer to it as Ryerson, that's what it was called when I was going there. Um, is I saw an article on a campus newspaper about a club that was trying to be formed and it referenced another club that was manned by students union which was the pro-life club so i kind of just had a thought like oh there used to be a pro-life club that's kind of cool and sad i didn't get to join um yeah that was kind of my realized first i guess hint that the student union wasn't friendly to pro-lifers um <laughs> Yeah, and and I'm I'm sure that's an experience that many in our audience can can relate to about the hostility from the student union. This kind of like somewhat arbitrarily elected um, group of students that actually hold a tremendous amount of sway over the university. I know that when I was at the University of Victoria, the the administration kind of felt like um, the student union was just like playing in the sandbox, like, oh, student government is really fun. This is really good for people's resumes until they realized just how much power and influence um, the student union actually had on influencing not only the day-to-day -day lives of students, but literally what they could do during their day-to-day -day discrimination against pro-life clubs, discrimination against or in favor of other clubs. But I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. And so we're going to cycle back to this a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm really interested in this entire journey that you've been on. So you, you come here um, 2014, you're going to college. And so you notice that the pro-life club wasn't active at the, at the initial time that you um, arrived at Ryerson. So what did pro-life involvement look like for you? Were you kind of a, a re-founding member helping to re-establish a pro-life club? Did you get involved in other realms? Where did kind of the pro-life journey on Ryerson or, and now, as you mentioned, Toronto Met um, really originate for you? So at the time I had started um, reconnecting with other pro-lifers, sh sharing my pro-life beliefs, um, just in different places across the city um, that summer. And then, so in the fall, as I, we returned back to campus, natural place for me to share my pro-life beliefs were with, with my community at Ryerson. Um, so I, my perspective was very much that just because the student union won't give students club status, it doesn't mean that I don't have obligation to speak up for pre-born children on campus or to reach out to my peers um, who may be considering abortion. Um, so I just started, um, I got connected with students at other campuses across the GTA, particularly um, U of T Students for Life, which is also incidentally where I end up meeting my husband. Um, so we would have cross-campus activism where students from U of T who were experienced would come to Ryerson to help share the pro-life message. And also where Ryerson students, because the campus was so hostile, a lot of the time people were first getting involved at Ryerson. Um, we take the subway get it together to U of T and they had the first outreach at U of T just to have a little bit uh, more friendly or at least less likely to have to 
call the police before you leave for the day environment to start sharing the message. Gotcha. It, it is insane, the hostility that pro-lifers such as ourselves face. And, and that's something we're going to dive into in just a moment here. But I want to also one more question to kind of set the stage. Um, as especially as we're going to get into the hostility that you you yourself in particular have endured over the last several years here, um, which is incredibly disturbing as we're going to get into what is it that kind of compels you and and compelled you even at the beginning to dive into pro-life work like this i'm sure this wasn't some random thing that you were looking to make friends and so you just decided you know what what is the most casual thing that i could do on a friday afternoon maybe i'll join a pro-life community sort of thing this is probably something that you have held very near and dear to your heart for a very long time is that fair to say it is. So I think many pro-lifers, um, especially when they start out, they start out out of a great sense of urgency and a great sense of obligation to defend pre-born babies. Um, for me personally, my kind of motivation, um, which has been consistent, particularly as things got really hostile um, at Ryerson, is knowing and loving women who've had abortions and seeing the impact it had on them, particularly um, seeing also um for one particular loved one seeing also her care for her born children and the fact that she was denied the right to care for her child who was aborted um so that was kind of the motivating factor for me yeah and and i think that's so important and i find it so beautiful and so fascinating um that kind of guiding um, factor for so many of us in the pro-life movement because of the hostility that we often face day by day, that it, it would be a lot easier, I'm sure, for both you and I and countless of, of the listeners to this podcast and throughout the movement to not act with that urgency, to not do something for the sake of preborn children. Yet this is baked into, I would argue, something of our identity of, at the very least, our, our core beliefs that Human life is valuable from the moment of fertilization until our natural death. And that we as as decent people, even at times obviously not decent people, we have an obligation to protect and defend the weakest and most vulnerable in particular. And, and obviously who is more vulnerable than a preborn child? And so bearing that in mind, let's talk about that increased involvement. So you already alluded to the fact that um, activism at Ryerson and now uh, Toronto Metropolitan University is certainly not a very friendly or very um, accepting environment of the pro-life movement in general, um, let alone uh, the particular outreach that that you have been participating in, a a variety of different projects, I'm sure. When it came to your involvement, was this something that like often there was absolutely nothing um, happening against you and this was just kind of a a shot in the dark or or lightning out of a blue sky that that hostility just kind of surprised everybody there or did you find that through your pro-life outreach at toronto metropolitan and ryerson before that um this was kind of a consistent standard that if you expressed your pro-life worldview that it was consistently opposed often in a, a very violent kind of way so I think this environment that we had at Ryerson, um, so I love my community at Ryerson. I think we are a community that cares very strongly about social issues and social justice and have had lots of great conversations at Ryerson and other campus. The thing that makes Ryerson a bit unique when it comes to hostility is that we had a student union mentioned, as you mentioned, um, elected by a very, very small minority of students um, who was, were very hostile to anything pro-life and who had kind of the funding and resources and resources to back extremes, both censorship and hostility. So one thing that was actually clarified um, doing a student union annual general meet, or a student union um, annual meeting was the fact that the counter protesters who are student union staff would be being paid, um, would be being paid during their counter demonstrations, which ought, which often would involve criminal activity, whether that's stealing property or sometimes even throwing water at or assaulting um, pro-life students and pro-life volunteers. Okay, I, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna get you to quite say that all over again, but like that's bonkers to think about. So you, as a student at Ryerson University, were paying a portion of your tuition, correct, goes towards the student unions. That's correct, right? Yep. Yeah. And so you're you're paying money to the student union. 
and the student union is using the money that you're paying that all of these other students, many of whom were not involved in electing the student union um, council or whatever they are, the executive there, their money is getting used to pay people to counter protest, to so censor. And often during their counter protesting, they're, they're assaulting and committing criminal activity. So their money, our, our money was used to literally buy a sign that says you don't even go here of a giant arrow, which student union employees would stand next to me who weren't students and point the giant ar the arrow towards me. Um, I did start pulling out my student card when they did that. So they started pointing the arrow in other directions some of the time. Um, but yes, very much so. Okay, that, that is mind-boggling. And for a lot of our listeners, like, like that might be even more mind-boggling to you who maybe you, you haven't attended a university campus here in Canada. We had similar style things, but like our, our student union at UVic while I was there would go out of their way to try to demonstrate that they weren't on the clock or whatever, that, that they would somehow try to funnel some activity or information. I mean, whenever we would submit a booking for a room, they would kind of notify the uh, pro-abortion groups on campus um, in case they wanted to protest us or anything like that. But like, that's insane that actual paid staff from the student union were were committing a lot of these crimes against you and the other pro-lifers who are trying to share your message. I, I would assume that it goes without saying, but you, I'm sure you guys had a standard. You guys, maybe not just a standard, you guys probably had to sign a, an agreement, a contract even, to assure that you would not like reciprocate criminal activity. You would not get into brawls with, with people there. Yeah. Through all of your experience, was there any instance that were um, enacted by the pro-lifers that, that an abortion advocate could say like, oh, you started it or somehow you guys are at fault for any of the criminal activity that came upon yourself? So, as you mentioned, all of everyone who I volunteered with, everyone who I worked with, we all signed, signed the event saying um, the kind of conduct that that we had to display while doing outreach. Um, I think the most important thing was that everyone who was with us, we checked make sure they are motivated by love, not just for the people and child, but also for the parents and for the people that we are speaking with on the street. Um, so for example, things like even swearing at our condo protesters as they're stealing, at, stealing from us or yelling at them, those are things that we would have absolutely no tolerance for, but also things that we wouldn't need to be actively enforcing because our volunteers saw the dignity of every human being, including those we are speaking with. That's fantastic. And, and and I have obviously worked with not only staff and interns, but also volunteers throughout Western Canada and across the nation and, and arguably around the world as well. Was there even like, has the student union or any of the pro-abortion proponents brought forward any evidence to suggest that any of the pro-lifers did anything that was in any way above, uh, not above reproach? Like, has there been any evidence to suggest that you guys have done any wrongdoing apart from sharing the pro-life message? So... In their own words, um, so we'll get into it a bit later some of the things I was denied access to, but in student union trying to explain to university why I shouldn't have access to critical resor resources. So them giving the best argument of why I shouldn't have access in their own words, the concern was that even if I didn't share my life beliefs at this event, that my mere presence would make the space unsafe for other students. Um, I think similar, we have Video, video footage of student union employees um, following me and harassing me and the accusations towards me is that because um, I'm generally a pretty soft-spoken person, um, so the thing that they would angrily yell at me is that my silence is violence. Um, so they couldn't say that I was calling them names, they couldn't even say that I was raising my voice to them, so the accusation came to the fact that my silence is violence, which usually would be shouted at me maybe 20 times in the span of a few minutes. Gotcha. Well, I, I'm so glad that you and the other volunteers had the perseverance and, and the, the presence to not reciprocate all of the, the filth that I'm sure was thrown at you. Um, maybe let's dive into the the support that you were seeking um, as some kind of recourse. I'm, I'm sure that for many people, even listening to this, the idea of enduring this kind of counter protest to put it lightly but but often violence and assault and harassment and everything like at the very least i'm sure that that counseling is on on the record for like something that would be very appropriate for somebody who had gone through that kind of experience um what based on your experience and all of the the crazy situations that you were part of and, and endured as a student at ryerson now known as toronto metropolitan um 
what kind of support, what, what kind of resources did you seek out at the university or through the student union? And what was the response in your, your efforts? You alluded to it already, but kind of outline that again for us. Yeah. So this had all been happening for a couple months of me sharing the pro-life message on public property and facing um, extreme hostility from student union employees and volunteers. Um, so the student union at Ryerson also runs what's called equity service centers. These are centers meant to combat discrimination on campus. So for example, there's um, a center for students with disabilities, which was called Ryaxis, not sure of its current name. Um, there's a center for students um, who are visible minorities or as they called it, the racialized student collective. Um, just, and the purpose of these centers is to provide like community for people from from community for people from marginalized identities, as well as to combat discrimination. So um, in February of 2017, I tried to go to, to an event at the Center for Women and Trans People. Um, and immediately upon entering the event, I was told that I couldn't be there because the state, because it's a pro-choice space. Um, so that escalated into, so I clarified that I didn't, that I, not intend on sharing my pro-life beliefs and asked simply, I understand that your space is, is pro-choice, does it mean that I have to be pro-choice to be in it? Um, so then I met with um, the Vice President of Equity of the Student Union as well as the Equity Campaigns Manager and through that meeting they clarified that not only did that because I shared my pro-life beliefs because they knew I was pro-life. Um, not only was I denied access to that equity service center, but of the six equity service centers, I was denied access to five of them. So this includes Center for Students with Disabilities, even though I have a disability, which is recognized and accommodated by the university. Um, it includes the Center for um, Racialized Students, which was particularly um, particularly disturbing because this is happening during Black History Month. Um, and as someone who's Black and mixed race, I was told I couldn't go to Black History Month events. Um, um, it also includes, as I mentioned, the Center for Women and Trans People, and then it includes some of the other equity service centers, um, marginalized groups that I'm not a part of, so I would, those ones I couldn't attend. The only center I was left able to access with the center was the Good Food Center, so basically I could still get food on campus, but anything that involved connecting with my community, I was banned from. That is absurd. And, and I am so sorry that, that that you've had to go through that. I mean, it, it's completely unacceptable for somebody like me who um, I'm, I'm a white dude with a lot of gray hair and, and like I might anticipate it. And like I, I hear lots of those arguments of like, you're a fella. How dare you have an opinion on this? You're you're a white guy. You're a whatever. You're an old person. I'm not I'm old. I, I call myself old, but I, I'm 33. I promise I, I could show a birth certificate at some point. But like the idea that somebody such as yourself, like a very I, I hope that it's fair to say no offense if, if you don't agree with it, but like a very meek and mild um, young woman, very soft spoken, very much not going to rock the boat at one of these events to go back to the line that you had said the silence is violence and that your your mere presence is going to be hostility towards other people is absolutely yeah. absurd and I like think, you said being cut off from so much your community like what goes through your mind what what is that experience like for you so my concern was at the time because larson was so hostile i was probably the most visible um student involved our group i was definitely not the only student involved so my First concern was if this ban applies to me, how's it going to affect, affect other pro-lifers, other student volunteers? Um, so I clarified this with student union employees. Um, I asked, so on campus, in defending public message, I've shown abortion victim photography. Um, so I directly asked student union um, student union employees. Um, we have other volunteers who have only held images of embryos of healthy people and children with the same ban applied to them. And I got told, yeah, replied to them too. And then I also asked, okay, we have one volunteer in particular um, who, because she was so nervous at the hostility, has never held a sign at all, but simply stood next to us on the street and was associated with us and talked to other people about abortion. Would the same ban apply to her? And I got told basically, well, if she's associated with your group, the reaction would be the same. So I want to clarify that while I was banned from acting these centers, the ban didn't just apply to me, it applied to basically anyone who was pro-life or was associated with those pro-life or probably who was suspected to be pro-life. 
And and so the the systemic di- discrimination goes very deep with regards to the pro life worldview and and the the belief that so many of us have. It, like, like statistics show that that while we're certainly not the majority of people in Canada, these kind of protections are not oriented to protect the popular and and majority, but rather to protect people like us who hold a minority view very near and dear to our hearts. And that that kind of systematic discrimination um, flies in the face of the entire principle of having these minority. Um, groups and communities to be able to facilitate the the safe environment and and welcoming community for people such as yourself who are are recent immigrants and um very strongly value those communities like you mentioned so tell you share about how you were denied access um, by the student union to several different areas of um kind of special Social groups, social interest groups, and whatnot. You talk about how you're denied access to um, women's collectives, um, students of visible minorities, and and I think that some people might see this as okay. Well, she was just looking to to have fun and and celebrate and whatever, be part of a community, which you have the right to do. And so I don't think there's there's valid concern around that. The discrimination, even for fun times, um, is wildly inappropriate. And yet it went beyond that, right? That, that it wasn't just fun times that you were looking for. Some of the services that you were denied were literally recovering and healing um, supports for past trauma. Is that true? Yeah. So I think probably all female proliferants have been asked about the case of sexual assault and how to respond in that case. Um, and for me, as I was sharing the pro-life message, pro-life message, something that really... I guess compelled me to look at my own past trauma and experience um experience having been um experience having been raped at the end near the end of high school um and so because I wanted to be able to reach out to others on the street for others on the street be able to speak to women speak to women treat about abortion I knew in order to do so I need to be able to I needed to seek healing for myself um with the support of some really good pro-life friends um Devorah, who many of your listeners would recognize, I uh, started attending counseling on my own. Um, she used to drive up from Mississauga to wait outside my counseling sessions for me. And at a certain point in my counseling, my counselor recommended that I also seek support, support within community. And so the only place I knew where to look for to do that is at on the Ryerson campus. The student union and the university partnered to help hold events, which were closed spaces just for survivors of sexual assault, um, where you kind of come together and have healing. So that's one of the services that I asked to go to. Um, and the response I got was still difficult to speak about. I got told by an email um, that it would be an inappropriate for me to attend an event for healing. Um, a little while later, I got another email um, saying that the first email was sent too quickly because the student union employee, um, Corey Scott, male student union employee who denied me access to this event, had to go back and check with partners from the university. Um, at that time, I had only consented for him to disclose the fact that I sexually assaulted to student union coordinators to be at this event. Um, so without my consent, he went to, went to the university. Um, and Recently, through a freedom of information request, I discovered that in response to this, even though so the Office Supporting Survivors at University called consent comes first on the website, it promises confidentiality for survivors. Um, instead of respecting confidentiality, they forward his request to the vice provost of students, again, without even having decency to notify me. Um, I think it's really horrific that the univer- in the university's response, one of the things they suggested, um, so this is an event where Corey Scott clarified that even if I didn't bring up my beliefs at the event, that my mere presence would make the space unsafe for other students. Um, and the university's response was, although they admit they don't know what process he was using to look into these allegations, um, they suggested they have a list of three responses, and the first one was suggesting to cancel the event for everyone. So that because I as a pro-life student has been affected by sexual assault, wanted to go to get healing. One of the reasonable responses given by the university was to make it so that no one would have access to this, this event for healing is one of the suggestions. That's that's horrifying. Talia, I'm so sorry that, that not only have you had to go through this traumatic experience, but also that in trying to find healing for this traumatic experience, that 
literally the universe, literally the the source of healing that, that should have been the most confidential, should have been the most secure and safer spot for you to be, was so hostile towards you, not only in breaking all um all confidentiality, which is wildly inappropriate, like you mentioned, but like to have to justify yourself in light of such a horrifying trauma that, that you had endured um, and make you fight for your right to find healing is absolutely absurd. And I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that. And you would hope, I, I would anticipate, I'm sure many of the listeners would anticipate that the natural response from the university and even from this coordinator who had this massive breach of confidentiality would be profuse apologies and um, not not to mention suspension of roles and, and that sort of thing. How <laughs> I don't even know how to ask the question. Like, how do you cope and, and persevere through that in when when something that should be responded to with absolute horror um, and losses of jobs and apologies is responded to with I guess we're just going to have to cancel this entire event for everybody. Yeah deciding to move forward with telling the story in a more public way in light of the recent victory, um, latest recent victory we got, which we'll talk about a bit later, just a huge victory for pro-lifers. Part of my consideration was realizing that the same student union employee who who mistreated me is still employed in a position where he has access to vulnerable students and just really hoping that one, if anyone else receives similar response to him, has received similar response from him, they know that they're deserving of healing, um, that what happened to them was not their fault. Um, because being told that you don't deserve healing makes it feel like what happened to you was your fault. So I hope that other survivors know what happened to them is not their fault. And regardless of the inappropriate student union responses, that they're deserving of healing. And I really hope, um, I really hope that this individual either be willing to change his course of action and recognize that this is not an appropriate way to treat survivors or will not be in a position where he'll have access to deny or grant resources to survivors based on whether or not they, they agree with his own beliefs. Cool. Um, again, I, I am so sorry, Talia, that, that you've gone through both of all, all this entire experience, but, but to have to get dragged through that. So I'm sure that as this was building up, again, like we've alluded to, I'm sure that you weren't eager to, to launch a legal case, but like, at what point did you realize that you needed to take a step and, and that the discrimination that you and so many of your, your volunteers that you work with were enduring that as much as it was outside of, I'm sure, your comfort zone and, and what you would prefer to do, that something needed to happen to, to fight back for your rights and the rights of, of your pro-life colleagues? Yeah, so my first response kind of realizing how bad things were on campus was to go to university for help, just to request to be protected equally. equally. Um, I think that's important to talk about because in my complaint, in my human rights complaint, I named not only a student union, but also Ryerson University or Toronto Metro University itself. Um, and I think a few incidents kind of really showcased the role that the university had instead of protecting all students equally, regardless of what they believe, but instead of choosing to discriminate and fail to protect, protect poor life students. Um, so I organized events, which was approved by the university, sanctioned by, sanctioned by the university to have um, an event where we brought speakers from silent no more awareness campaigns of speakers who were poor support themselves just to be able to share their stories with proportion um, to a message of hope and healing um, in what is our student campus center, um, our student center on campus. Um, and student union employees responded to that event. Um, so we had maybe about half an hour of peaceful, peaceful dialogue, people sharing their stories. Student union employees found out we were there responding to that event with extreme hostility, um, insulting the speakers as they're sharing very personal experiences, not only of abortion, but personal experience of sexual assault. Um, and student, student union employees stole materials, disrupted. Um, I think it's positive also to mention that their goal was it to count was it kind of protest the event was even to share their own point of view. Um, once university employees asked student union to stop disrupting their event, um, student union empl 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 employees clarified they're not pro protesting it; they're there to shut it down. And the university's response, after failing to reason with them, was to force us to end the event early. Um, 
but even that wasn't enough. So we ended the event early. Um, speakers left. Everyone, all of everyone who's there who wasn't a YSN student left. Um, myself and a couple other students stayed behind at camp, campus center just speaking. Uh, student union employees then began to protest our presence. And again, instead of protecting us or getting them to stop, student union, um, the university asked us to leave our student campus center um, because of the protest of others. Even though student, student um, the university employees said, admitted that we weren't being disruptive in any way. Gotcha. So maybe let's dive further into that, because like I mentioned off the top, that, that in some ways, university administrations have kind of treated um, student unions as playing the sandbox, like, oh, let, just let the children have their fun kind of thing. They're not actually impacting anything. Obviously, that that's incredibly alarming that, that university employees and security and whatnot are, are basically not backing you up at all like maybe they have a stern warning and and shaking some fingers but but nothing beyond that and so if if this was any other kind of event any other worldview than the pro-life worldview i'm sure that the university would get more involved but like was there a conversation with the university as all of this was playing out like like with admin of you guys need to step in and and you need to rein in your your crazy crazy student union here because not only for the sake of the students, but even the, for the sake, if, if nothing else, for the sake of your own good name and and <laughs> the the um, impression of Ryerson University and Toronto Metropolitan, you have a vested interest in protecting your students. Like, was there a conversation with admin? What did that? Yeah. So, in seeking help, I tried to go. Um, so, I tried basically every avenue at the university. Um, I tried filing student um, court conduct complaints against the students who treated us and university refused to adequately follow up with those complaints. I went to the human rights services, human rights office at Ryerson was basically told that, well, they, they were sympathetic that we, they couldn't take any action against student union employees outside because they're outside of their span of control. Um, eventually actually met with the president of Ryerson university, as well as the vice president and provost of Ryerson university, um, just to request that, um, so at the same time, all this discrimination was happening. The university was also actively meeting with, setting up working groups with the pro, with the um, pro pro choice student or pro abortion students. So we requested very simple that one we'd be equally protected when students um, choose chose to engage in criminal or harassing behavior, and also that if they're gonna have um, if we're gonna be talking about these issues on campus that same way pro-choice students are represented, that pro-life students would get a seat at the table. Um, and during that conversation, um, myself and a friend that I was with, we were just pushing the university on, um, so on their obligation to protect the rights of students to be able to share, share, their, share their beliefs without fear, sorry, should be able to share, share their beliefs freely. And my friend asked the vice president uh, the vice president asked us why we thought why we came to campus to share our beliefs and one of the questions we posed back is well if universities aren't the appropriate place to talk about controversial subjects where would be an appropriate place and his response is how just recognizing the tradition of universities being a place to exchange ideas um he said well actually like he seemed just really confused by the question he said like i've really been like struggling with this actually because um I'm paraphrasing him slightly here, but he he said he doesn't understand why people have the idea that universities are the place are the places to share their beliefs outside of the classroom. Um, so it was just really shocking for me to hear that from the highest levels of FNMN within the university, and rather than recognizing that there is importance of being able to freely exchange ideas um, on campus, it was something that's seen as confusing of why people even have the idea to come to university in order to share their beliefs. Which is insane on so many levels, um, and I'm sure that was your response when, when you heard that. Like, I'm, I'm would not be surprised if your jaw didn't just drop hearing that from from a very high up member of the university admin. And so, was it at that point that you began this pursuit of the human rights challenge within the um, the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario? That was kind of the next step. Yeah. So that was so after that meeting, I kind of realized that we've exhausted all possible avenues for help in the university and in order to be just treated equally on campus that we were going to need to um, go to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. So this is actually something that was suggested by the Human Services Office, 
human services office at Ryerson. Um, so after meeting with the, with the president of Ryerson failed, that's the avenue that we move forward with. Gotcha. And I'm sure there there's at least a little bit of rigmarole that went into um, the Human Rights Tribunal there, the uh, case that you've uh, been fighting, I know, for a very long time. And yet you've recently had a victory in that um, Human Rights Tribunal court. Tell us about what the last couple of years have looked like and kind of culminating in the victory that you mo uh, most recently won within that Human Rights Tribunal. So, yeah, so we recently had... Um a very significant victory, um, not just for me, but for polifers in Ontario. Um, so when I filed the complaint, the response from both the university and student union was basically that my beliefs about abortion are merely political and political beliefs are not protected in the Ontario Human Rights Code. So they clearly didn't discriminate against me, but they did discriminate against me because of my political beliefs, which aren't protected grounds. So it's not um, it may be wrong, but it's not against the code to discriminate against political beliefs, um, at least in Ontario. If you're in BC, it is. Um, so in March of 2022, the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal um, had a hearing to look at two questions. Basically, the first question is whether my claim had a reasonable chance of success. Um, and second was to look at whether that my, whether my pro-life beliefs um, constitutes a creed under under the definitions of the Ontario Human Rights Code. Um, so, as you mentioned, being pro-life for so many of us something that's central to our identity. Um, for me, it's tied to my religious beliefs as a Christian. It's something that is not often not something we can kind of choose to pick up and put down as we wish, but it's something that's really core to how we understand ourselves and how we understand um, our place in this world and our place before God. And from the very start of this, from the very start of this, from the very first day, I, I like very first meetings when I was told I couldn't attend student union events, uh, I clarified that I that to be pro-life and to not speak up about my beliefs would be violating my conscience. It's something that I couldn't do. I was still given this blanket ban on all student union serv services. Um, so going to the March hearing, um, in January of this year, the tribunal issued a, issued, a, issued a ruling on that hearing and they found that my pro-life beliefs as founded on my Catholic faith, faith constitute, a, constitute a creed under the Ontario Human Rights Code. Gotcha. And and that's a gigantic win. And and I'm so glad, as I'm going to say a, a dozen times more already, I'm sure. I'm so glad that, that you've had the courage and, and the um, willingness to pursue this so far. But obviously, this is not the end of the journey. And so th this is a big win. What is the next step for you and, and your case? Um, is it kind of the next level? Is this going into, um, for many of our listeners, they're probably fairly unfamiliar with how the judicial system in Ontario, let alone anywhere in Canada, will work. What is the next step after this victory? So now that, so now that we've, so the hearing mentioned was a preliminary summary hearing, and now that we've um, had a resounding victory on both cases um, during that hearing, next step is now we go to a full hearing. And for COVID and for various other reasons, the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario is like very delayed. So we're not sure when exactly that will take place, but the next steps um, go to a full hearing on the merits, basically to look at all of the evidence we have, of all of these events that we've been talking about, um, all the videos of student union employees and their actions, um, the audio transcripts, um, which share the very same things I was telling you and see if based on that, whether or not my my rights were violated under the Human Rights Code. Gotcha. Um, I'm sure that you're not excited for more courtroom action and whatnot, but I'm thrilled that, that you have been able to, to get this breakthrough. You don't know when um, the next hearings will be, but it's not just you. It's not just... Um, like you mentioned, you're, you're doing this on behalf of pro-lifers across the country in many ways, uh, with a particular focus towards pro-lifers in Ontario. Um, what can we do? Obviously, um, I, I want to encourage all of the listeners to hold you and your team, your legal team that you've been working with up in prayer. But I think there's more that we can do, I hope, to help you and your team continue to bring this important message and important case forward to ensure the rights of pro-lifers and 
I, I think it it go it should go without saying, but but for all others, whether they agree with us ideologically or not, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that I don't need to roll out the um, the Rousseau quote of "I may disagree with you, but I'll fight to the death um, for your right to say whatever you'd like." I, I'm butchering that paraphrase, but like this is a, a really important case for anybody who holds views very strongly, very deep um, conviction that are not the popular opinion. What can people yeah. do? What can the audience do to help you out in this fight? Yeah, I think that really gets to crux of the issue is that this case is really about whether those in power, which is student union employees elected by a very small percentage of the students, have the right to deny essential services to those um, who those whose beliefs they disagree with. Um, so it doesn't matter. A student union, as anyone who's been on campus knows, holds strong beliefs about a variety of topics, um, abortion included. And I don't I think most people would be hard best to find a per person who falls into line all the student union's beliefs, including probably some within the organization. And I think it's really important that those in power can't use their power to discriminate against those they disagree with or to bully and to silence those who have unpopular beliefs. Um, as for support, I think the most important things is prayer. Um, for me, and for our legal team, but also for the adjudicator who will eventually be hearing the full hearing, um, as well as for those on the other side that we will all have the courage to do the right thing. Um, the other very practical way that people can support is so unlike the student union, I can't demand that all students give me money to pay for um, to pay for this ongoing legal claim. So while the student union has funding of basically everyone's tuition fees to put in towards this campaign. Um, we are currently crowdfunding from pro-life versus from those who believe that no one should be discriminated against for their beliefs on campus. Um, so if people want to give, they can go to fentalia.ca um, if they want to contribute financially or just leave a note. Boom. Love it. I will drop that in the show notes to fentalia.ca. Um, this is so important, folks. This is so important, not just because Talia is an incredible young woman who's got a really important message, but because these cases will continue to shape the way that pro-lifers are able to engage across the country. I mean, we've had legal cases regarding what can and cannot be put up on billboards across Canada. There was a case down in Lethbridge um, that has been fought. There's been a number of different cases for bus ads and others that free speech is so important because preborn children depend on people like Talia being able to share the pro-life worldview with the students at their at her campus so that they change their mind on abortion so they don't have an abortion so they don't counsel or aid or vet other people in having abortions literally free speech saves lives and i know that sounds dramatic but like it's true and so folks please do donate i will be donating to the fund um uh say, say the website again defendtalia.ca correct defendtalia.ca Beauty. It'll um, be in the show notes. Please do prayerfully consider how you can sacrificially give to be able to um, facilitate this important legal case. Talia, I'm so glad that you are not only able to join the show, a very small sacrifice, I hope, um, but for all of your courage and all of your involvement. Um, what else should we be aware of going forward? So we, I don't want to drown out that message of financial partnership to be able to um, help this legal case move forward. But, but is there anything else that we should know about um, this case, about your journey, about what the next steps that our audience should be aware of? So through that same site, I'll be posting updates as we go along. Um, I really say because we've gotten through kind of first hearing, which was a really big hurdle. Um, to just be able to have the tribunal recognize that no matter where the case goes from here, here we have precedent set the tribunal has recognized as pro-lifers have been arguing for decades from um, that pro-life beliefs are something that are part of our creed and that should be protected. Um, so really excited to see now that the precedent has been set, hopefully that provides more protection for other pro-lifers who maybe before they're wondering, is this, is, are these beliefs something that's protected if I'm discriminated against on campus? Is this something I can go for help on? So I think that really, really hope that encourages others to know that even if student unions discriminate against them, that their beliefs are protected and you do have a right to share, share your beliefs and you do have a right to live according to your creed, um, even if that creed is unpopular. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I, I can't think of a better note to end on than that, Talia. Uh, please do continue to keep up the good fight. I know that it's a grind. I know that um, there are countless sacrifices that nobody is going to see that you've been making right now. Um, and I, I hope and pray that each of you in the audience will join me in supporting Talia in this legal fight so that we as pro-lifers continue um, to have our voices Um as crazy as it sounds, be allowed to be heard within the public forum, within the discourse um, of our world, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of preborn children who so desperately need our protection. So thanks a ton, Tally, for joining me and for all of your courage in this fight. Thank you. All right, folks, that was Talia Batista, an incredible pro-life advocate um, in the greater Toronto area. And I hope that you were convicted. I, I know that we got down into the weeds a little bit in her story there. I hope that you appreciated her beautiful journey and story, her, um, her very graceful delivery of her experience, even the vulnerability of her traumatic um, personal story and surviving sexual assault. I, I can't thank her enough, and I hope and pray that you will join me in partnering with her um, in the fundraising that she needs to do for um, her legal case. The legal situation in Canada is absolutely bonkers with regards to how difficult it is for somebody like Talia to be able to have her rights defended. We have this gigantic machine, this Goliath of the student union who's just drawing money from student fees over and over again. There's no sweat off their um, forehead, there's no skin off their back. And yet Talia is required to fundraise a tremendous amount of money to be able to have her voice heard, to have her rights defended. So please do join me in partnering with her um, to ensure that her rights and the rights of preborn children are defended um, because it, it's vital. I, I cannot say enough how important it is that um, pro-lifers defend their free speech for the sake of the preborn children for whom they are, are working and defending. And so please do check out her website. I got a bunch of links dropped in the description below. So please do check those out. Um, and if you have been inspired, if, if you want to learn more, go to Talia's website about how you can get involved in helping bring justice to Talia um, and her message of life on Ryerson University campus, now Toronto Metropolitan. Uh, with that said, thank you for tuning in to this episode. We got ton of more um, incredible content coming down the tube that I'm looking forward to. So please stay tuned for future episodes. Um, and may God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Thanks so much. Hey.